when you're a guy that has said, hey, I was a true crime writer, I started solving murders, and then you write a book, and then you have a podcast, and it's just your success means that more and more people will write you and say, you know, you open up five emails a day saying, my daughter was murdered, can you please help? That's probably the reason why I drink more, is because I can't help everybody. What is up, you beautiful bastards? It is your boy, Sir Scared A Lot, aka Rabbi Canlews, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to the author Billy Jensen of one of my favorite books, Chase Darkness With Me, and he also runs the super popular murder mystery podcast, First Degree. This guy writes about unsolved murders and solves them, and it's amazing to see how he's actually taken in a career when he was a hockey writer to a murder mystery novelist. It's, if you've ever wanted to learn how to create your own career and how he went from being a hockey writer to doing podcasts and books about murder mysteries, you're going to love this episode. Here's three gigantic things you're going to take away. Number one, which gender likes murders more? I was shocked. Number two, how he supported himself and became a full-time writer. And number three, wild murder mystery stories and why the hell are we so fascinated with it? Enjoy those three things plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we dive into the show, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. I know you are. I already love you. It's youtube.com slash okdork. We put out two to three super juicy business videos to help you on your business journey every single week. That's youtube.com slash okdork. Also, a special preso shout out to listener Matthew Gazzosi. Sorry, Matt. I just want to try your name that way. From Austin, Texas, he left a review saying Noah is a fantastic interviewer. Wow, man. Thank you so much. He gets a lot of great insight from his guests. I appreciate you, Matthew, and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. Thank you for your feedback. If you want to shout it in a future episode, leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. I check every single one of them. Awesome to meet you. Great meeting you, man. Number 30 at Facebook, huh? Yeah, dude. I'm not as rich as you think, though. You know what? Is that a real Lichtenstein behind you? I think it might be. <laughs> it's funny you say that. It's a guy who does pop art from uh, Instagram. I actually met a guy on Instagram and he did it. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's like a taco there. There's a <laughs> Well, so yeah, it's pretty funny. It's uh, Lichtenstein. This is our company's called AppSumo.com. Right. And so this is the our logo. You know, Scrooge McDuck because I was pretending I was rich. Actually, there's Matthew McConaughey. I don't know if you can see him in the corner. All right, all right, all right. All right. And then I have a the thing I really wanted was like a 1950s Austin. So it's kind of got some print media down here from 1950s Austin. Austin, Texas, you're talking about? Yeah, that's where I live. Oh, right. Is that really? Oh, yeah, man. I used to go to uh, South by all the time. Oh, those days when we traveled. Tell me about traveling. Back in the day. Yes. Tell me Tell me about traveling. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, I just had to travel. I'm traveling again, too, because you know crime doesn't stop. So I just came back from uh, shooting a show for uh, Long Island Serial Killer for ID and doing a seven-part podcast on it as well. And we had to quarantine for two weeks in on Long Island. It was nuts. You wanted to pull your hair out at the end of it. You know, the whole crew quarantined in a house on Long Island in an Airbnb. And now I'm going to Ohio because I'm doing a story on another bunch of serial killers that are killing people out there. So you can't stop the crime. The crime does not wait for COVID. Do you ever think there's just not going to be any more murders? No, there will always be murders. What would you do? There's Everyone just stops killing. Believe me, what would I do? I would, you know... I would be a, a chapeau salesman. Oh, I don't know what, you know, I would be so happy if there were no more murders. <laughs> Believe me, I would, honestly, I would try to design theme parks. That's what I would do. Oh, that's cool. What are you drinking, by the way? I am drinking uh, a gin and water because I ran out of tonic. Dude, I got to send you this gin. All right, afterwards, after the end of the show, I'll get your address. I'll send you the, this is a Japanese gin. This is a game changer. Fantastic. Yes, no, I do like the uh, the liquor. On the Murder Squad, we finally got a uh, a liquor sponsor because we, we drew, me and me and Paul Holes, the guy called the Golden State Killer. We have this podcast called Murder Squad. We constantly drink whiskey on it. And we finally got a whiskey sponsor. It's Screwball Whiskey. It's peanut butter whiskey. And it's so great because you can use it. Like you pour it into anything you think it might taste with. 
taste good with. So it's just like eggnog and <laughs> it was like eggnog and peanut butter whiskey. Why not? And it's like, this tastes really damn good. So yeah, now this, uh, this podcast game is fun. It's interesting how it's almost like, you know, I love meeting people in person, but the podcast game has gotten a little bit easier because of the pandemic, you know, but I miss, I miss being able to go out with people afterwards. I miss going to the bar with Paul. I miss just being able to like chat about stuff. We actually just finished an episode we did the episode, we did all the ads, and then it was like, okay, bye. And it's like such an empty feeling, man. I can't wait for this, for all this stuff to get back to normal. Um, but we're all just trying to survive out here. Amen. So your theme park, most importantly, what are you going to call it? <laughs> you know what? I actually have worked on this a little bit. There was a land inside of it called Saturday Morning Land. And it was going to have a, a blanket fort cafe. So people were going to eat cereal under a giant blanket fort and watch cartoons, which was what we did as kids, which a ride that Disney ended up doing, it was going to be called the Cat and Mouse uh, ride, which was a two dueling roller coasters that were going through a house. And it was like you were small, which I, apparently I think is what Ratatouille is. The, the new Ratatouille ride is, is very much like. It was going to be themed, you know, in the same way that Walt Disney themed Main Street to the turn of the century 1910s, 1920s main streets that he experienced. I want it to be 1970s. You know what I mean? Just like <laughs> 1970s, like theme to that with all the good and all the bad that was going on in 1970s. So you would have all the good. Maybe there'd be a Muhammad Ali ride who was like, you know, evil Knievel. And then you'd have the bad, which was, you know, the oil shortages and the distrust in government. There would be an all the president's men ride, you know, just. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I just want to. I just want to lean into the '70s because the '70s was such an amazing time. People ask, "You ever play this game? And what city and and uh, time would you want to be in? Like, would you want to be in Paris in like the 1850s or something along those lines?" And I consistently go back to New York City, 1977. Look at what's going on in New York City in 1977. You've got the rise of punk. You've got the rise of disco. You've also got hip hop happening. You've got Son of Sam killing people. You've got Star Wars coming out and you've got the blackout and you've got Studio 54. It's just this confluence of all of these things that were happening at one time. 1977 New York must have been one of the most craziest times to be around. Now, I was there and I mean, I was five years old. I was living on Long Island at the time, but you know, that's the time I would go back to. Have you noticed that or do you think murders are down with coronavirus because people are staying more inside? They were a little bit, and then they went up. It was weird. In the beginning, it was, but then beefs live, you know, and like the murders that were going on in Chicago and everything, they picked back up. And then also, you know, we knew there was going to be a big problem with domestic violence, you know, people living together and everything. And it's just, um, it's such a stressful situation for so many people. That's the crazy thing. It's just like, it's as bad as it's ever been. We're a little bit more prepared because we have the infrastructure, but, and we have sort of hope on the way with this vaccine. But it feels different. Did you see that they're just launching a cruise <laughs> in the Caribbean? Whose idea was that? And then there's somebody that was, yeah, somebody has COVID. Why? You know, there's certain things that, you know, we should be doing. And I think when Biden comes in and wearing a mask and, you know, I miss it. I miss going to, I miss playing hockey. You know, I can't play hockey now. And I was, I was playing the best hockey of my life at 48 years old. And I can't play hockey. Miss going to shows and doing live shows for the podcast or, or going to just, uh, you know, going to bars. We've got bars out here that are open, outside is open. So 
you have a lot of bars and parking lots now and things like that. And it's different, you know, but yeah, I love to people watch and stuff like that. Really? I don't miss anything. Really? I love it. I like, I actually was in my car two days ago. Sad. I was like, please don't end. You are a strange man, Noah. <laughs> I'm, I've got some sickness. In, well, actually, today we just found out someone got sick in our office. So we slowly opened up our office. I think we have 10 people max. And normally it's only three of us or four of us. And one guy, we just found mm-hmm. out, got it. And so we had to shut down the office again. I think it's just made everyone so much more attuned to what matters. I don't really feel that limited. Like, all right, I can't go to bars. All right, I can drink at home. Or like, I can have friends, like, you know, distant friends come over. Most of the yeah. buddies come over. Or like I do bicycling, hockey, I can see being challenging, but I feel like for the most part, it's an adaptation and an adjustment versus like what went away. Yeah. At least that's how it's been for me. Yeah. I mean, I find like, you know, I love English Premier League soccer. I'm a big Manchester City fan and, and I can't, it's so hard to watch the games without the crowd. You know, the crowd is such an important part and it's weird. You know, watching the, you know, the Islanders made a run. I'm a big New York Islanders fan. And it's just, um, you know, going to concerts and things. And it's just, and I feel for the artists. I feel for, like, I remember reading a story about a guy that, like, had his first play, you know, and he finally got it onto Broadway, and it's like, and then it all went away, and it's just like, it's like those little stories on top of the the biggest story, which is, you know, 250,000 people dead in America alone. I think it had to happen for the Black Lives Matter movement to stick, and I think it has stuck. I think it had to happen for people to pay attention to what was going on with George Floyd you know, no sports, no movies, there, nothing. It's just like, you need to pay attention now. And my mother always says everything happens for a reason, which is weird because, you know, my friend Michelle, who wrote the Golden State Killer book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, that I helped finish after she passed, she used to say, it's chaos, be kind, it's chaos. Like, there's nothing happens for a reason. So it's like, it's at odds with what my mother says, what my mother always says, everything happens for a reason. I, I sort of think, you know. And Michelle was saying, it's chaos? It's chaos, be kind. Yeah. The world is chaos. Just be kind. A lot of people have gotten tattoos of that. Yeah. You know, it's funny, as you were talking about it, and I definitely want to talk about killing people and the best ways we should do it, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, I wonder, as you're talking, I'm like, I wonder how we're going to look back on this. Like, you're going to listen. You're not going to listen to this episode. But, you know, I'm going to listen to it. People are going to listen to it in 10 years, we'll say. And, you know, it's interesting because I think we hear about times in the 70s that you're talking about Studio 54. And I'm like, all right, sounds okay. And I wonder if it'll be in a similar thing or if there'll be like institutional changes or in 10 years, just, you know, people have gone back to normal. Yeah, it's weird because, you know, I'm writing a book right now about the serial killers. It's a true crime book. It's actually happening. These serial killers operating under the cloak of the opioid epidemic in Ohio. And these women are being, you know, they get hooked on pills. The pills get taken away. They get hooked on heroin. They start to sex work and then they're getting killed and it's happening and nobody's talking about it. You know, I'm at a point where I've got to go there and says, like, how much do I include about the restrictions of the pandemic? You know, I'm going to be going along with a, um, there is a woman that fought, that uh, that does outreach to sex workers. I'm going to be doing a sort of a drive along with her. She hands out bags with toiletries and type of things to the, the women that are, that are out on the street. And it's just like, what do I, is it going to look dated? You know what I mean? Is it going to read dated five years from now? Are people going to want to forget this? And it's an interesting question as to whether, you know, what's going to be the lasting change from this? Yeah. As far as apps go, <laughs> since you have AppSumo, you know, I, cre- I created an app. Okay. And it got into Wired's essential apps, like 500 essential apps of all time. And it got into new and noteworthy, which is obviously the case. I was in that world. So I created an app. I was working at the Village Voice at the time. And I created an app called Best Of. 
And I wireframed it out and then I worked with a company and then we then we moved it. And it was just like wherever you were in a specific city of the 50 cities that we had, it would show you you're two miles away from the best hamburger in town. It was using the alternative weeklies who do these best of issues that have best pizza, best ice cream, best rock climbing, best this and that. And we put all of that into an app and the app worked really, really well. And I was very proud of it. And then I think they like killed it after I left. (laughs) I mean, I think that's true for a lot of this stuff. It's yeah. Well, is it going to get remembered? No, that will never get remembered. No, (laughs) you know, that's sort of one thing that I, I would, you know, and I was like proud of it. I was like, when we hit new and noteworthy, you know, success begets success in that app store, as you know. And it's like, that was big. And then being in the Wired magazine, that was big. It was just like, oh, it was just like, oh my God, this is so great. And then, you know, I was the cheerleader for it. They couldn't figure out kind of how to monetize it, which was weird for me. You know, national sales or whatever was just weird. And then they just, you know, probably about two or three years after I left, they just kind of buried it. And uh, all that work went to something, you know, that went away. But it's something that I would like to have, you know, it's just like, if I land in a place, because I do so much traveling, or at least I used to, I'd want to know where the best, you know, best dive bar. That was always a great category, best dive bar. Because yeah, it always leads to to bad decisions. That's a great plan. <laughs> <laughs> but like the people at that place, like there's one in Austin, it's called Lala's. So if you come out here, we can go to Lala's. It's 24-7, 365, Christmas themed. It's always Christmas themed. Oh, I've been there. Yep, I know, yep. Yeah, it's one of those places that like, it's not talked about as much, but you go like, dude, this one's rad. <laughs> the first time I was ever in Austin, I walked around and I thought, and it was during South by, and I thought, what does this place do the other 51 weeks out of the year? Because there's a bar, literally every other <laughs> store is a bar. Every other storefront is a bar. I'd never seen anything like it. And I still haven't. And I've been all over, you know, America. There's so many places that, that, you know, to drink. And I was just wondering, like, what do those places do? And I know you have Austin City Limits and you have a few other things, but it really is just kind of incredible. And then like, I hadn't even like explored South Austin until like five years into my South by stuff or, or the East side. Now I dig Austin a lot. A lot of people from LA are actually moving to Austin. Oh dude, it's every day. I'm like new buddies. Oh yeah. Friend of a friend or I'm moving. Particularly in, in COVID during COVID too. It's just like, they're just like, we're getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. I mean, I've sometimes I feel like a salmon though. I'm like, honestly, LA is pretty sweet. Like California, there's a reason California got so popular. You know, the weather's mm-hmm. great. There's a lot of variety, diversity there. Whatever how it's being run or not, like there's a lot of, you know, I feel like if everyone's coming to Texas, maybe I'll go to California. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Doing like a house swap or something, yeah. I've actually heard a lot of, I've heard a, a lot of SF friends have moved to LA because they're like, I want to stay in California. I like the tech scene, yeah. all that kind of stuff. I uh, don't want to be in Texas, but like LA I've heard has just gotten super, like housing market and all that stuff's gotten really crazy. The housing market went through the roof because all of the tech guys came down from San Francisco. It started in Venice and Santa Monica. So anywhere along the coast, the tech guys were really eating up that. And then they started moving into, you know, Beverly Hills and everything like that. So luckily they haven't hit, you know, closer towards LA downtown, which is, which is unfortunate too, because LA downtown, I, I, w- I wish some tech companies would move in there because there is some beautiful architecture and, and it's, it's always sort of on the cusp of being revitalized downtown LA is, and there could be some beautiful spots of all these old theaters, you know, from the golden age of Hollywood that are just either not being used anymore, being used as like a, a jewelry store or something. Uh, there's so much that could be done down there. But yeah, no, there's a lot of lot of tech guys and there's a lot of uh, upsetness with that as well from the people in Venice too, because Venice is very 
you know, it used to have that very indie lifestyle to it. And then these guys came in with a lot of money. It's like when a band or a place gets popular. I'm like, yeah, because it's great. I'm like, yeah. if it sucked, no one would want to move there. I mean, that's a hours of discussion and homeless stuff, which I think sucks. And it became magnified with COVID too, because they're not doing anything. They're not doing the rounds. You know, the encampments are, are bigger and bigger. You know, it, it breaks your heart, you know, when you see it and you know that these people don't want to be out there, but they're out there, you know? So they do roundups, you know, it's like, like to try to sort of like, quote unquote, clean up the encampment, which is basically they tell them, we're going to come back in a week and you have to clean up everything or we're going to throw it away. And then if it rains that day, they don't come back for another another month. So everything is like pretty sort of, especially with COVID too, it's just, like, it's just, you know, it's kind of entrenched now. And everybody sees the problem, but nobody's trying to fix it. I don't know what the right solution is. I just know it's kind of disappointing. Yeah. Like I was looking at a house today in, in like kind of South Austin and there's like a homeless camp in the backyard or like coming close to the backyard. And it's kind of like, why am I going to spend over a million dollars in a house when I could just live for free in the yard? You know, <laughs> I go, I'll just get a nice tent. And I get it. You know, sometimes those people have problems. But at the other time, I'm like, I'm working hard for this money. And like, I don't mind helping them a little bit. But people are like, oh, yeah, help them. I'm like, well, why don't you have them in your backyard? They're like, no, not in my backyard. It's literally true. It's easy to be okay with it if it's not around That's you. That's the not in my backyard people, the Nibiisms, yeah. I don't know. LA and Austin, dude, are dope, though. There's a lot of, like, similarity between the city. We don't have the beach stuff out here, but I love coming out for the summers. You got Barton Springs. Barton Springs. Dude, I like you're like a, you're like a spokesperson here. I know you got Barton Springs. You got the Alamo Draft House, which is everywhere now, actually. Except they're closed. I don't think they've reopened. No? Is that right? I don't think they so. opened one in Phoenix. Like, uh, you know, I have a house in Phoenix and I have a place here in LA and uh, they opened one like in Tempe, like right near. No, no, but they reopened. I thought they closed down for Corona. Oh, I think they did. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that is so shit. Can you imagine being so rich? I know the guy who's, who, who founded it. He's an awesome dude, like such a good dude. But I can't imagine you're running this company. You're like, my life's great. My wife's great. My kids are great. I'm rich. And all of a sudden they're like, fuck your business. Yeah. That's the one I have, you know. I have more sympathy for. Do you know the Tito's guy? Tito's vodka. I don't. I would love to meet him. That's the hookup that you need in Austin. Dude. <laughs> There's actually we're Austin's gotten pretty big on this this CPG consumer packaged goods. There's a lot of liquor out here, a lot of I mean beer is kind of everywhere, but a lot of products like Epic Bars, Kettle and Fire, Tito's, Deep Eddies, like a pretty good amount of oh, uh, Deep Eddies is there too, yeah. Food and drink out here. Tito's is great. Nothing like what is it? It's corn based, so the hangovers are less. <laughs> with tito's yeah is it tito's very much fueled my book tito's and bullet is what i drank when i was writing <laughs> chase darkness with me i was thinking about that though do you feel like you have to drink to like numb some of this because you're seeing some dark shit like okay let me just tell you i've read your books i got pretty deep for like literally probably three months into the i don't know what you call your world but your world mm -hmm. and honestly it just started making me really scared mm -hmm. i just got scared all the time and then drinking i'm wondering if you're drinking because you're like you're dealing with some fucked up shit yeah, you know, when you're looking into the the mouth of the monster, you know, it might be good to have a couple of drinks in, inside you. With Michelle's book, you know, I've been writing stories about unsolved murders for 20 years. When Michelle passed, I just got so disillusioned and upset because it's like, I used to be upset and I used to hate the killer because of the victim and the victim's family. But then I hated the killer for like all the people that tried to solve it, you know? What happened was then after that, I, I saw a piece of video of a guy attacking a guy on a street in Chicago, and the guy ended up dead. And I said, this is a good piece of video. I can see, like, you can kind of tell who this person is. Why haven't they caught him? And I was like, I know why they haven't caught him, because nobody watches TV anymore. 
but I know where they are. They're on social media. So I said, I think I can find this guy. And I used Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and I bought geotargeted ads and was able to identify who this guy was. And that sort of set me on this journey where, you know, geotargeted advertising on Facebook. And I wish that I wish I had come up with the idea like six years earlier when Facebook was like really humming with younger people. But the targeted ways of being able to, uh, even if it's something in a big city, if I see somebody in a video able to narrow it down to, all right, this guy's wearing a hat, looks like it's a Dodger cap or something, you know, who are the Dodger fans in Chicago, that, that kind of thing, you know, it's just like, and narrowing it down that way, using that advertising, you know, and I've been able to, to solve or help solve a, a bunch of murders. And it's been, um, the thing is, is like the police still don't know. You know, I wrote the book half for the police so the police would figure it out. You know, when I call up police and say, hi, I'm Billy Jensen. I'm not looking for a reward. I'll pay for it with my own money because I literally do. I've spent about $25,000 on this and say, I want to set up a Facebook page. We already have a Facebook page. I was like, you don't understand. I don't care if Kim Kardashian posts this. I don't care about anybody other than the people within a one mile radius of where this crime happened. And Facebook and Instagram and Twitter give me the opportunity to do that. But it costs money to do. So, and I think I might have said it in the book. Like if if Zuckerberg gave me a million dollar credit for ads, I could probably solve a hundred murder cases. That's probably true. (laughs) Did you start doing more as you started doing these these uh this work? That stuff? Or just like doing all the crime stuff, man. Like no, my I mom mean, no. my mom watches ID and they she is so scared. They live in like the, <laughs> yeah. the burbs and like are up on a hill and like well, they also have nothing to steal at their house. But she's like, Did you lock the door? I'm like, Yeah, mom, lock the door. Yeah, growing up in New York, I always locked the door. I mean, that was just a thing. And my dad was my dad being an ex con was was a guy that was always paranoid about stuff, so yeah, you know what? I, do I drink? Maybe, maybe subconsciously. I don't know if uh, if that's the reason why I do it. But the thing that bothers me the most is not being able to to work on as many cases as I'd like. When you're a guy that has said, "Hey, I was a true crime writer. I started solving murders," and then you write a book, and then you have a podcast, and it's just your success means that more and more people will write you and say, "You know, you open up five emails a day saying my daughter was murdered. Can you please help?" That's probably the reason why I drink more is because I can't help everybody. I kind of wrote the book in a way to sort of, you know, you teach a man to fish type of thing, you know, and um, a couple police departments have said, I'm going to use this and that kind of thing, but they still haven't wrapped their heads around it, which I hope they, I hope they would. It's one of those things where I keep on, keep on trying to uh, educate them about how this could work. How do you figure out which cases to, that's something I was thinking about, how do you t- figure out which cases to take on and which ones not to? If I'm going to do like a social media campaign for it, it has to have something that people will respond to. It has to have a piece of video. Uh, it has to have a sketch, something along those lines. When you're trying to find somebody via social media, the good news is, is that you're not a cop knocking on a door. So anybody can be on it. They're scrolling through Trump memes and pictures of their nephew's kids and dogs. You know, one of the things that I always do is I always start with the location. You know, Zuckerberg, our member said, people care more about a squirrel dying in their front yard than uh, than about somebody dying, a person dying 3,000 miles away. It's so much about location. You know, I start with Glendale, Arizona, you know, or even a neighborhood even more like that, or Austin, 
but I would even go deeper. Like Austin, you, you know, just something that would make anybody that lives in that neighborhood be like, what? You know, if I, if I was in Dallas, like Deep Ellum or something, you know, it's like, wait a minute. Okay. All right. I've grabbed their attention. They've seen the video of something shady because it's a surveillance video. And then they see the location. Now I've hooked them. And too many times when the police are looking for it, they lead so much with numbers. On 6 12 2019, this man was murdered. The perp is, and then it's like six foot four, 200 pounds. It's just all these numbers, and there's nothing to grab the user and bring them into the story. You know, so it's very much a marketing, very much a journalism, very much a headline writing type of thing, which they just don't, the police just don't have the skill set for. But I, I've learned that skill set, you know, having worked as in newspapers and then transferring over from being the editor of the newspapers to being a digital executive and, and like being like the guy that was as the newspapers were going down, I was the guy in charge of all the websites and trying to get viewership on the websites, how to get people to click on your stuff. And my life was run for five or six years based on how to get people to click on stuff without being completely clickbaity. It was incredibly stressful because you were basing your life on page views and unique visitors and page views based on um, on location and also page views based on categories, food, music, lifestyle, news, broken down like that, giant spreadsheets, stuff that I never thought I would ever do before as, as I started out as a writer. You know, everything happens for a reason. Like my mom said, it was a really good mixture of the two. And then I realized, wait a minute, I can use the stuff that I did as a digital exec and my crime stuff that I do at night and merge them together. And that's what I was able to do. Two things. One, it sounds like you're a better marketer than the police. So maybe you should do social media management for police stations. Yeah. <laughs> like, they need all the help they can get for all of that. And uh, I would rather just, you know, I mean, they have so much to do in terms of community and um, dude, it's tough systemic uh, issues. But there are systemic issues when it comes to the way that they investigate murders and the way they investigate uh, sexual assaults too. You know, we heard so much about the, the rape kit backlog. And the rape kit backlog, is, you know, and then some cities would say, we cleared our backlog. It's like, okay, well, what did you do with that information now? Did you put those, the DNA into CODIS, which is uh, the national database for bad guys, and their DNA is in there? Okay. But it's their DNA, but it's only their YSTR DNA. So it's only the male lineage of the DNA. It's like, okay, all right, you didn't find them in CODIS. Did you use genetic genealogy then? If you had a serial rapist, did you actually use and upload it into GEDmatch or Family Tree or one of the open source, open databases, and then try to connect the dots the same way that they solved the Golden State Killer case. You know, the answer, 99.9% .9 of the time is going to be no. I don't know if anybody's doing that yet. They certainly haven't asked us or haven't told us about it. So there's so much more that can be done merging science and technology and social media with policing, not even policing, um, investigating, investigating crimes after they happen. And it's just not being done. I was thinking about your career and I looked at, uh, I thought it was pretty fascinating from being a professional hockey player to being a writer to where you are now. And I guess it made me curious for people who were fascinated by murder or fascinated by unique topics. And then they wanted to pursue that as a career. I wonder how, you know, what you'd recommend for them. A lot of people ask me that. And this is the first year I've not had a day job. I've had a day job where I had to do something else in order to feed my family and put a roof over my head. When I'm out chasing criminals and things like that, that was me doing that on my own, you know, at my own time. Did I make a little bit of money on it? Yeah. You know, you'd write a story for Rolling Stone. I actually remember writing the Luca Magnata story, which eventually 
through a weird way turned into Don't Fuck With Cats. Oh, the Luca where he killed the cats and they caught him online? Yeah. I wrote that story for Rolling Stone. I remember working on that in Austin. Was, I think it was around the time that the guy had broken through the barriers and, and ran down all those people uh, during South by. I don't know if you remember that or not. I do, yeah. Right outside the Mohawk. You know, for that story, which took me eight months to write or something like that, I think I got $2,000 for it. You can't make money on it. Your podcasting has definitely helped and things, but it's just, it has to be a passion. It has to be your lifelong hobby. It's not for the faint of heart. You're going to have to supplement it with something else, you know, and I've done consulting work. I've done, I've been a newspaper editor where I would have to write those true crime columns at night or true crime features at night when I wasn't, you know, trying to put out a newspaper. And uh, there's not really a job that is this, you know, unfortunately, there should be. You have two popular, hugely popular podcasts. You have a book out, you have, you know, a no name. I was thinking you're making a you know, super good living doing that kind of stuff. Well, you know, this is the first year that I was able to do that. But before that, when I was just writing the stories, you know, before I was on a podcast, oh, even when I was, when I was on The First Degree, which is my other podcast, you know, you're not making a ton of money there. You know what I mean? It's just like a little bit here and there. And I have two kids in college and all that stuff. So it's like, you know, best-selling book does not make a ton of money. You know what I mean? The next book, you know, does. But, you know, the first book, it's just like, it's not a ton. A lot of the places where people... Unfortunately, where people would make money with podcasts, people love going to live podcast uh, shows, and those are a big source of revenue for uh, for a lot of podcasters. Obviously, those got shut down during COVID. So, you know, I always had to supplement. This is the first year that it was like, all right, you don't have to do that. You know, you can just concentrate on the work, which has been great. I'm also able to do that too because one of my kids is finally out of college, so I don't I don't have two kids in college at the same time now. I just have one, but he's threatening to go to law school. So you're like, dude, dude. That one's a scientist, so she's she'll get paid to, to work, but law school is a whole different story. It's interesting to hear behind the kimono, man, because I think a lot of people, you know, we have these assumptions like, oh, this person's got fame or attention or some notoriety, then they must be rich. Not saying that that's the only goal of it, but it's that, you know, I like that you're saying, hey, I, I love this stuff, which it's obvious you're doing because you're interested in it, but you have to do this, some of this other stuff to, yeah. to supplement. You know, and I, what I always tell people is the biggest breaks in my life happened when I was doing something for free. My first writing gig happened because I was on Long Island. I was painting houses for my dad. I just got my master's. He got sick. I came back to, you know, save the family business, which I didn't, but he passed away a couple of years later, but you know, the business was still thriving. And I, um, I started a, a zine about hockey fights and I would talk about who won the fight, who lost the fight, that kind of thing. And I would hand it out at Nassau Coliseum and the village voice saw it and they were starting a newspaper on Long Island and said, would you want to write a story? And for the first issue, I said, yeah, you know, they gave me 400 bucks and I wrote it. And that was the start of my journalism career. It was because I started something that I loved and I did it for free. And that's what I always tell people. There's a couple other examples of that, of doing something that you love that you can't not do. It will lead to good things if you put enough time into it. Yeah, that was beautiful, man. I, I dig that. I dig that approach. Because, yeah, just stuff happens. Like, I do this podcast. I don't have any sponsors. I don't. I just enjoy chatting with people or sharing stories that are going on in our business. It is interesting when stuff is secreting for free. I love that. Why do you think that the stuff that you are doing captivates us as a society? Like, I was, I'm reading all the books. I read yours book, Michelle's book, all these other books, BTK, all of them. And then yeah, I'm just like, why are we, why do we care so much about this shit, man? Because it's, kind of, it's dark. Yeah. You know what? We like to bring order out of chaos. That is a natural human inclination. There's something wrong. I want to see it made right. Which is one of the reasons why TV used to hate showing unsolved murders. 
uh, shows, which is which is why I was never you know, working on TV until they finally are starting to do it now because they wanted it wrapped up in a bow. Oh, something bad happened, and then everything got set right. It is also a largely female audience. You know, a couple things. You know, females are very much in tune with the human condition and human emotions. Guys are dopes; they don't know what the hell's going on. But females can understand that, and then also the most popular true crime stories are usually stories about women when they're victims. That is, you know, potentially a survival, you know, how do I make sure that doesn't happen to me? I think it's a combination of things. But, you know, when you take a look at the listeners, I think we're probably 90% female. Honestly, that seems so counterintuitive. Because I would think dudes killing, I don't know, it seems like a more like dark, gruesome thing that you would think females would want more. I'm not a female, so I don't know, but I would think they'd want more pleasant things. No, no, dudes, you know, and th- there's certain types of crimes, too, that, that don't work. You'll never see a show about a bank heist on Investigation Discovery or the mob. You know, the mob, that's like, that's considered guy genre or a bank heist, that kind of thing. That's sort of a guy thing. And uh, when it comes to interpersonal relationships and when they can go bad and, and turn evil, that's when, I mean, some men are into it, but it seems like that's when the females take over. That's so interesting. I know a lot of my girlfriends or f- friend girls, like they love this stuff. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this, like at my book events, it'd be like 400 people there. And it would be women who, who brought their boyfriends along or, or their husbands along. If I saw like a guy alone, I made sure my security guys looked at him. You know what I mean? That was weird. Even two guys alone, you know, your ears sort of, sort of prick up. And I would look at my security guy and be like, look at that guy over there, <laughs> you know? But usually it was a group of gals together or a, uh, you know, a guy that's like holding her purse while she comes up. And uh, I never thought in a million years that this, this genre that I kind of, it's kind of like being in an indie, you know, being a fan of an indie band and then it gets popular and you're kind of like, and now it's gone mainstream. It's an odd feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Super odd. It's like the, you know, almost Manson or some of the effect, these people that are famous for killing, like they're famous for killing. And I mean, I guess that's part of what they wanted. Manson was a failed, he wasn't even a failed musician. He just didn't, what was he, 33 years old when he, when he it's like, he didn't hang on long enough. He, he could have just kept going. You don't like not get a phone call back from a producer and then tell people to go kill people. You know, it's just like, you keep going, go do some live gigs, dude. The sort of fetishization of these serial killers is something that I really do hate and really try to stay away from and discourage people to. And, and, you know, my focus when I think about it is more about the investigation and the investigators and the victims. With the, the book speeches or you're, you're giving a speech, what do they come ask you? I was trying to imagine what these women ask you like, oh, Billy, kill anyone lately? Like, what do they talk to you they about? They don't ask that. No, they ask things like things about specific cases. Have you heard about this case? They ask about when you were working on this case, what made you do this? What made you think about doing that? You know, that kind of thing. A lot of them have their own stories, stories of one woman I remember in Denver, her father was killed by a serial killer. Yeah, just people, you know, come up and then, you know, during the meet and greet, you know, you do like a 10 minute Q&A at the end, but then during the meet and greet, it's just... They're just jazzed. I mean, it's something that I missed too. You know, I was supposed to go on a book tour on uh, for the soft cover. and was going on a book tour, going to be at places I'd never been before. You know, a bunch of like uh, weird different places, not hitting the same cities that we did on the hardcover. And then, you know, COVID happened. Hold on, what did the, the lady in Denver say about her father? Her father was 
he was a cop actually, and he was killed by a guy that turned out to be a serial killer in a shootout. Yeah, so it's a case I, I want to cover. It's called the Cookie Bandit, and um, it's something I want to want to definitely revisit at one point. But yeah, you know, and then somebody would come up, and then I would always have a notebook with me and say, "Please write down your info. I want to talk to you later." What was the Cookie Bandit one? Ah, uh, he was just a guy that I don't, I'm not sure why he was called the Cookie Bandit, but that's originally what they called him. I got to look look back into it, but he was a bad dude. Any other cases that come to mind for you? For what? I don't know. I'm just curious. I just know you have these wild ass stories. And then I want to try to understand why people like, and I was talking to my stepdad. I have a gun at home. I don't blame anyone, but because I think of ring cameras and I see that there's all this crime happening around me, which is not necessarily true. And the books and the shows, I'm like, yo, I'm going to get killed at home. And so I bought a bunch of guns. I like put up all these cameras. I have deep sentinel security. I put glass, the special protector on my window. So if you try to break it, it'll hold the glass together. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, one's coming for me. You know, it makes me wonder like what brings people to that point, especially the ones that are not like necessarily out of anger. Not like, hey, I hate this person because they screwed me over. Yeah. Listen, why people decide to, you know, it comes from anything from desperation. You know, they go, they want to rob a, a bank and somebody dies or it goes from they're sadistic. You know, the cases that I'm working on now, like Long Island Serial Killer, where this was a sadistic guy who liked murdering women and probably tortured them, too. And I think that, uh, you know, it runs the gamut where there's always going to be somebody killing somebody. It's an unfortunate truth in life. And the explanations will always vary. Like, how do you protect yourself? The typical things that you're supposed to do. Always aware of my surroundings. I had a cop tell me once, I'm not afraid of the the bullet with my name on it. I'm afraid of the 10,000 bullets without my name on it. You know, just being aware of your surroundings, aware of who's around you. You know, I'm more fearful of something like a mass shooting, you know, than I am an individual sort of crime. But, you know, it still happens. And, you know, don't put yourself into situations that are going to be dicey, which is easier to say than to do. Sometimes, though, I think people put themselves in places. Like, I'm like, do I really want to get into a shootout over a parking spot? No, you don't want to do that. Exactly, yeah. You know, in Costco, I go to the other parking spot. But I think we, we escalate things. I know I've done it at times. No, I've done it too. And it's just, it's not a good way to live. And um, when I get my Irish up, it'll happen, you know, and it's stupid. There's a great line that happens over and over in, in The Dark Knight Returns, the Frank Miller book uh, about Batman that really ushered in the whole sort of like gritty superheroes thing. I think he would say, this is a dumb way to die. I think about that a lot. Like, do I really want to get into it with this guy? This would be a dumb way to die. Because anything can happen. You know, you fight with a guy and he pulls out a gun. You have no idea, you know? So just let it slide, you know? Just got to let it slide. In terms of these murder mysteries that have been solved or not solved, I hate asking questions get asked a lot, but that's also stuff I'm like super curious about. That's okay. No, it's, yeah, sure. No, no, no. I'm curious, like the stories that come to mind, like from your podcast or ones you're working on the side. Like what cases that I would really want to see solved? Well, no, I know that. Like, I've heard, you know, you've, I've heard you talk about that. Uh-huh. But I guess the ones you have solved are the ones that, I don't know, maybe the ones that, like, stick out to you, the ones that you think about from time to time. Yeah, I think about the Marcus Gaines case was the guy that was murdered in Chicago. I've got his picture right behind me. I don't know that story. Some guy picked a fight with him and attacked him and then punched him. He tried to run away and then the guy punched him and then he fell into a crosswalk. And then a bunch of people gathered around him and then the guy yelled at everybody, big guy, yelled at everybody, like, you're next, you know, so everybody went away. And then he just sat there, passed out in the crosswalk for about a minute. And then a cab ran over him and killed him. And, uh, you know, he seems, you know, doing research on this, on the case. And he's a really great guy, impeccable dresser as a bartender at a local Marriott. 
And uh, that case stuck with me and, you know, trying to figure out who that guy was and eventually doing it and then following him and trying to figure out who he was and figure out where he was and begging the cops, I know where he is, and then finally going and picking him up. That was a biggie, you know, and uh, it was the first one, too. It was the first solve. So that's the one that always sort of sticks out to me. But, you know, I think about the woman that was killed in Owlshead Park, Brooklyn, where I had a piece of video of a guy that she was with, and I thought I'm going to get this guy in a week. Then I spent $3,000, so much so that, like, <laughs> somebody would write, I think, like, on Twitter, too. I had ads running on Twitter, and somebody, some woman wrote, can someone just catch this damn fool already so I don't, can stop seeing the ad, <laughs> you know? Um, but, you know, still never caught him. If anybody wants to do a search for Owlshead Park, Brooklyn murder, you'll see on Facebook, you can see the guy. But yeah, no, there's a lot of those uh, ones that I think about that I wasn't able to get. You know, you think about those more than the ones you were. Because a lot of your show, the shows that you guys have is about the ones that are solved. At least it seems like. On the first degree, they're about the ones that are solved. That's the one I do with Alexis Linkletter and Jack Vanek. And we talk to somebody that is that has a one degree relationship between a person, either the killer or the, or the, uh, or the victim. But with Murder Squad, they're all unsolved. Yeah. In a sick way, I'm curious, is there a best way to kill someone? So that you won't get caught? Yeah. The best way to kill somebody that you won't get caught is that you can't know them. They got to be complete strangers, you know? And I'm, I'm not going to get into specifics about how, but it's just like, that would be the best way to kill somebody and get away with it. Yeah. Starting from there. Because if it's somebody that you know, they're going to be knocking on your door at some point. I saw one of your presentations where you said that the 1950s were safer in terms of getting caught than now. Like, it's like if people are killing as much or kill, I don't know if it's as much, but how is it safer then than now? In 1960, what I was talking about is in 1960, the clearance rate for murder was 90%. Now, listen, there were wrongful convictions. There were beaten confessions. There was a lot of that stuff going on, but it was 90%. Right now, it's hovering around 61%. So if you would ask anybody on the street, was it easier to get a conviction or, or solve a, a murder? In 1960 versus now, everybody would say now because we've got DNA, we've got all of the sophisticated equipment. But no, it's not. And there are reasons for that, too, because we have a transient population. We move around. Nobody knows each other. Uh, you don't know your neighbors. There's a lot more drugs. There's a lot more guns. Those are the three biggie uh, reasons for everything that's going on. And then also the distrust of the police, too, which is huge. You know, nobody wants to talk to the police. So to having gone from 90% clearance rate, solve rate, to 61%, where if you're murdered in America, there's a third a third chance, a 30, set, what is that, 8%, 39% chance that your killer won't be caught. It's pretty creepy. And it sounds like something that should be moving in the opposite direction. Huh, so it went from what to 61? Went to 90% to 61%. From 1960 to now, yeah. Dude, that is bonkers. Was there a lot less killings back then? There were less killings back then, too. The killings started peaking in the 80s, and then it, they've gone down, actually, but there's still 15,000 unsolved murders every year in America, about 250,000 since 1980. Do you have nightmares? Because, I mean, your whole day seems to be around death. Like, you know, mine is like, oh, my computer died while I was doing <laughs> an interview. Like, uh, you know, our website, you know, was offline for a second, or my YouTube video audio was off. Yours is like, oh, that guy got killed. I want to solve this woman. No, I don't have, you know, the nightmares I have are the nightmares that people have that like, I have nightmares of like showing up to a hockey game and I, I didn't bring my skates. It's like, that's kind of nightmares. Or like I'm back in high school and I have to get like one more credit. And I'm like, I, I'm an adult. I'm, 
Um, it's like, why can't yes. I? Yeah. Why do I, I really need to do this? Like, I need to take a whole nother semester for that. Yeah. It's like that kind of, those are the nightmares that I have. That's what I was thinking. Mine's like, I'm at the test and I wasn't, I didn't study for it. I'm like, I didn't know the test or I'm about to give a speech and I'm, I'm about to go on stage. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to talk about. Those happen. Yeah. We all have those. Any stories from your podcast this year that stood out for you? Yeah. You know, I think we had a story that I've worked on a lot about, um, Faith Hedgepath, who is a, she was a uh, UNC Chapel Hill student who was found murdered in her bed a few years ago. And there's a lot of twists and turns in that case. I'd really like to see that one get solved. There is DNA. There was a note left and the note said, I'm not stupid, bitch, jealous. That's what the note said. You know, that's the one that's sort of sticking out to me right now. We actually, we just did a story about the murder of Rebecca Gould from 16 years ago. And we debated a two-parter. In between the first part and the second part, they made an arrest. So that was pretty neat. Based on your guys' podcast? I'm not sure. It might have been based on it. I, they won't tell us, but we might have spurred it, you know, a little bit because it was like, you know, we, we were going on TV promoting it and everything like that. So it was two really good episodes. And uh, the Sunday night before the, the second episode dropped, we found out that they made an arrest. What was her case? That Rebecca Gold, yeah, she was murdered in a mobile home of her boyfriend who she was going to she was going to break up with that weekend she went missing but they found blood in the cabin in the mobile home and she uh was found in an embankment on the side of the road turns out they arrested his cousin or nephew i believe for the crime so it was somebody that had access to that mobile home so but details are still sketchy at this point is it always the relative like i listened to the scully one today about the scully guy who got killed by the swingers and it was like is it always just like the wife or husband or the person next to them that's always where you got to go first so you're listening to the, the first degree episode about um the guy who he was a pole vaulting coach he goes missing and it turns out that he was in a swinging relationship with this woman they were both swingers she had a husband and the husband got jealous and, and killed him and it was sorry to, sorry to give it away if anybody wants to go listen to it but um if somebody is dead the first thing you you check out are the people that are close to them. Absolutely. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but nine times out of 10, might I say, it's like it's going to be somebody that's close to them. You throw a, a pond, you get the ripples in the pond, you just start with the first ripple. And many, many times, you don't have to go past that. What do you think should happen when they catch these people? If you're God or Mrs. God or whatever, you're the judge, what would you do? You know, can you rehabilitate somebody? I mean, I think they be, should be put in jail and put in jail for life. You know, how do they pay that debt back to society? You know what I mean? You know, what can they do in jail that would be productive? That is always my question. I'm not a death penalty advocate. I do appreciate the death penalty and its use for bargaining, really, with with convicts and, and with people that are going to trial and saying, hey, we'll take the death penalty off the table if you confess, which happens a lot. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you do. I mean, I think the first thing that I would want to do is I would, you know, get out all the people that are nonviolent offenders, uh, get out people that are drug users that were, were in there for possession, that sort of stuff. Those people should not be in jail. And, um, you know, just make sure it's the really bad ones that are in there. I don't know where this, one, this question, sometimes I don't know where the question's going. Where do you think these people go when they die? The ones that, do you think they go to heaven? Listen, I hope they go somewhere because I, I would love to believe in an afterlife. I hope they go somewhere. That's all I can say. Maybe they go to Saturday land. Saturday morning land. Saturday. Maybe they go to Saturday morning land. <laughs> they would not be welcome. You know what? <laughs> Listen, the 70s and, and early 80s were considered the golden era for serial killers because there was just so many of them. So 
that might have to be addressed in Saturday Morning Land at some point. But yeah. no, no, I'm saying for the victims, not for the killers. They go to shit. Oh, land. the victims. Yeah, they, they go to poo poo land. The victims are going to heaven, absolutely, yeah, and uh, and hopefully they can watch over watch over us and and have a better time of it up there than we're having down here. You can only hope that. I hope so too, man. I, how can I protect myself better? Do you think about that? Like for the, the audience, like, hey, get more guns, like don't walk the street alone. You know, don't walk the street alone. If you're girls, uh, women that go out, don't leave somebody behind. You go out with five, you come back with five. You know, don't get too drunk that you don't know what's going on um, because there are predators out there that wait for the bars to close. You know, Jesse Matthew was one of them out in uh, Charlottesville. Just being aware of your surroundings and not putting yourself into into uh, uh, situations that are dicey, and then doing all the other things too. Wear a mask, you know, it's like that kind of stuff. Right now, you know, you're more apt to be killed by by coronavirus than you're going to be uh, murdered. So too soon. Wear mm-hmm. a mask. Wear your seatbelt. Don't smoke. Get your ten thousand steps in. That kind of thing. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, with the murdering and. One, I don't know if I could ever, ever actually hurt someone like that. I was mentioning earlier in the show, my stepdad and I were talking about guns. I have a Glock 19, which is a pretty big, decent sized bullet. And he, he bought a 22. And he was like, yo, I bought a 22 because I figured I could really actually shoot them and they wouldn't probably die, but I know I could actually shoot. You know, protecting ourselves is kind of a, it's a wild thing. I guess with, uh, your journalism skills, which you've parlayed into solving crimes, which is amazing, is like, how can we use these, these detective skills in, uh, in other jobs? And I was trying to think in tech world or in marketing world, like how do we be better detectives to to do better in our businesses? I don't know. You're trying to solve it. You're trying to solve a problem, but you're also, you know, it's it's all about people skills, I guess. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Give me a problem, and I'll and I'll uh, I'll try to y- use some detective knowledge for it. Well, I guess if you're trying to find like a house to buy, yeah, I guess how would you approach that? You know what, a house to buy, I think you would go. I mean, that's all research, you know. But then you also one of the things that you have to do is perfect example here. Whenever I'm working on a case, I will go to the location of the case where the murder happened. You can go check out Google Street View and you can walk around on Google Street View. Sure. But you don't get the sense of depth from what's going on. Same thing with buying a house. Take a look at it in the daytime, but also go at night, you know, because you don't know what's, what you're going to see at night. What if at night, like the neighbors are having crazy parties? It's like, you know what? I don't need this in my life. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Or there's a train. There is a train. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there you go. So it's like, it's that sort of stuff. So I would say like, go go to the location of a crime scene to get a sense of what it's like. You know, if you're buying a house, go visit it and visit it at multiple times too, because it might be different one time than from another. How do you organize all this research? Because you probably have different things going on and different you know, family, but all this stuff. I was like, how does it keep it together? You know what? I have a board that I would list when I was really deep in, you know, I've sort of like dove into just like two cases right now that I'm really focused on. So the board says like, you know, the name of the crime, Facebook, did I do a Facebook ad, Twitter, did I do a Twitter ad, and Instagram as well. Tips, what tips I got, did I get a solid ID, was there arrest or what's the holdup, and then a direct, did I have a direct result or not, whatever, and it's just like all that. So yeah, there you go. You're so much more normal than I expected. I thought you were going to have some some creepier shit with you some creepier shit oh man yeah no i'm sorry <laughs> no don't apologize yeah no it's just uh you know you gotta stay normal and you gotta stay grounded and you gotta be able to do fun stuff and i gotta pass to universal studios and i'll go there i live right by here so i can 
go to Hogwarts and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. Dude, you got to let the steam out at the Hogwarts Express. Exactly. <laughs> you got to. You got to do it. I mean, I was listening to your guys' show today, and I was like, man, now I'm scared of online dating because they're going to come up and kill me. And I was just like, how do you know? I was like, who do you, how do you, you know, especially with murders and stuff. I was like, man, how do you, how do you know who to trust? You don't, you know, you can do some research on them and this and that, but you know, you trust your gut. That's the biggest thing. You know, if something seems off, just get the hell out of there. That's my advice to people. Yeah. Have you ever gotten close to being attacked or anything? Yeah. Uh, you know, a little bit, you know, as a teenager and stuff, but it's, uh, you know, just always finding yourself an out too, which is what I always do. Like when you're walking, it's like, all right, if I get attacked, somebody comes up to me here, where, I, where would I go? Would I go this way? You know what I mean? That kind of thing. You can't live your life that way all the time, but it's kind of, I had done it so much in my youth that, because uh, my dad would always tell me that, that it was, it's kind of ingrained in me a little bit. Just always been prepared? Yeah, kind of. It's like the Boy Scout motto. I, you know, I think about that all the time when I'm not prepared because I'm an Eagle Scout. <laughs> and I'm like, and you're not prepared? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was talking to a guy today, and he's like, did you think about this scenario? And I'm like, damn, dude, you're really preparing, man. I got to work on that. I have given up the the ID, though, and all this kind of jazz. I guess, do you consume this a lot of the time? Is this what you talk to your wife about? About crimes and stuff? Not really, no. No. We got kids and stuff and talk about that. Or I mean, she can, she'll talk to me. She's a scientist, so she'll talk about science and a little bit, and I'll talk about my cases a little bit. She reads the first drafts of my books, but that's pretty much it. You know, she's, I mean, she does a lot of DNA stuff because she's a scientist, so it's like, there's some some things that I work on that kind of intersect with her, which is good. We can talk shop. As you're working on these cases, I guess two two things I'm curious about is one: do the cops ever like, yo, stop, like, get out of our way, like you're you're interfering? Because I was thinking it's like, yo, stop meddling in my stuff. You know? Yeah, they never said that. You know, whenever I call up about a case, I always check with the cops first before I do a social media campaign, and I explain it to them. If they don't answer me, then I'll do it. You know. If they say, and they have said like, no, 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 don't, please don't do that. Cause they're close to somebody, you know? And then I say, all right, I won't do it. You know? And then sometimes they say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So I never do one when they're saying like, no, don't, I'm never like, screw you. I'm going to do it. No, I wouldn't do that. Never do that. How have you evolved your, cause it sounds like, you know, two major avenues for you are like Twitter marketing, Facebook marketing. I guess that's effective. Is there other new channels? Like, have you looked into like TikTok or like Wikipedia or just like even next door or one of these kind of more localized yeah thought about you know next door thought about tiktok thought about um yeah i don't know what i would quite do with tiktok you know snapchat does those uh, ads that are kind of uh, overlay ads that you can draw a circle around like a place that you'd want to you know you could really really target on snapchat you know i was thinking about doing it for this one case of this kid that got attacked at a bar and i could sort of like do like three of the bars in the area so if anybody ever went on snapchat in there they would see some information about it. But um, yeah, you know, it's just like TikTok has been effective for some people. I just haven't delved into it yet. But there's always a possibility I would do it. I don't even know TikTok. Can you buy ads on TikTok? So they, they show up. I mean, they have to be monetizing somehow. I think they show the ads. I don't know if you can actually individually show ads on it. Yeah. I don't use it. I literally made a video about it today on YouTube because I was trying to figure out why, you know, what's going on. Yeah, but I, I don't know if you do ads or any stuff. And I'm like, that's not where I want to spend time. Listen, if it gets, if it keeps getting bigger and bigger, I might, I might check it out and maybe use it. Like, how could our audience help you with any of your cases now? You know what? I would say just, you know, take a look at it. The cases that are in the book that are still unsolved, which is like the girl in the serpent tattoo, which is a, a Tampa Bay murder that I'm still in. The, those Facebook pages are still up. Alice Head Park murder is still up. You know, just have a look, share them, and um, see what could be done. And if you have any ideas for 
how tech, you know, because I know you're a tech guy, any ideas of how tech could help, uh, more ideas of how tech can help with this, you know, throw them out there to me. What's like an example of the recent case that you'd like us to, like if we just pick one, like the serpent one or? Yeah, the serpent one is, a, you know, a guy that was, there's a video of a girl who is meeting up with a guy and she's digging in her pocketbook and then they go walk away. He winds up dead and they think she was digging for a gun. You know, they were both going to do drugs apparently, but that doesn't mean their lives are worth less than anybody else's. And, uh, you know, that's one that I would like to see solved. And uh, it, all it takes is one. I remember a girl that had that tattoo. You know, I remember a girl that had that tattoo or had that and had that bag and looked like her. This is her name. All it takes is that. What's the Facebook page? Because there, there's actually a, a model that's the girl with the serpent tattoo. You could check out South Columbus, Fairfield County, Murderer of Young Women. Check out Owl's Head Park, Brooklyn Man, East Palo Alto, Murder Suspect. Where do I find it? Just do a search for that. Yeah. Justice Searching for Tampa Bay Tattooed Female. Try that one. That, that's the Serpent Tattoo Girl. So so inside Facebook. Oh, wow. I'm watching your video. Is it just crazy that they're alive in the video? I know that's kind of strange, but you know what I mean? Like you're watching them alive. Mm-hmm. And then like they get their, they don't get the choice that their life is taken. Yeah, that dude just, I'm watching the Tampa Bay one. That dude just looks fucking creepy. Like, with that kind of backpack, that's a creepy dude. Which guy? Oh, that's the victim. The guy's the victim? Yeah, the guy's the victim. The woman kills him. Yep. Or at least she's wanted for questioning. We're looking for the girl. No one can find the girl. I mean, it's a pretty visible video. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, he looks like a tweaker, in all honesty. Yeah, no, he definitely, he had some drug issues. But see how she's digging into her bag? They're thinking she's digging in for a gun. Oh, probably to rub him for his drugs? I don't know. How many times have you watched this video? Probably watched this one a hundred, maybe a hundred times, yeah. Damn, dude. And did you go to Tampa Bay for this? Did not go to Tampa Bay for this one, no. I'm just kind of shocked no one knows who she is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because she's got the tattoo. Interesting. That's the serpent tattoo. Yeah, so then I drove, you know, kind of zoomed in on it and tried to clean it up and do all that, yeah. Does it get to you, man? What do you mean? I don't know. Does it get you down? Just like the piece isn't complete? It does. Absolutely. And then it gets to me that there's there's that many more. You know what I mean? 249,999 more that are unsolved since 80. That's what gets to me. Two things. But number one, is there there's not a database you can search publicly for the face? As far as I know, no. Because I was thinking there's maybe there's some way to do like reverse image lookup. I know it's kind of a little older. Not for something like that. You know, you can go through uh, mugshot databases. I don't think local police are at that point yet of doing facial recognition from then. Yeah. But what if you could do like a mugshot database comparison? Because that's all public information. Yeah. I mean, potentially that's something that you could do. It's just that the the images that we're getting on this are just so grainy. And I don't know if you'd be able to do it or do some sort of modeling. That'd be a question for anybody that's out there. Not sure what could be done in that respect. But any ideas people have, it'd be great. You know, the other thing that I would like to see is there's no um, database of unsolved murders. Oh, really? I tried building one at one point and I was trying to scrape data. The data is just so messy. It's sitting in different places, 17,000 different police departments across the country. So it'd be great to have it out there, but it's just, uh, it can't be done. I mean, it probably could be done with enough money and enough uh, enough time, but, you know, I was just sort of doing it on my own and just had a guy that we were working with. And, uh, you know, I think we got up to 3,000 or 4,000 cases. That was it. I mean, I Googled it to see if there's anything. It looks like there's a site called Project Cold Case. Org, but it doesn't look it looks kind of updated but not really there's just nothing comprehensive there's nothing that's like you know the closest thing is thomas hargrove he has got this murder accountability project but it doesn't have names of the victims but he's able you're able to narrow down like 
take a look at that. You can sort of play around with that. Murderdata.org. Yeah. You watch uh, Black Mirror ever? Sure. Would you be a fan if there was like a way where we knew who committed every crime all the time? Probably. Yeah, that would be good. (laughs) No, I'm okay. I'm saying, but it also probably like even small crimes be recognized. What would they do with the small crimes? Would they just, you know, I was thinking about the Black Mirror episode where they had everyone had to wear cameras. Uh huh. So the cameras are just like constantly recording 24 seven, everything that's happening. You know what? I'm not sure about that, but it, we sure nice to know everybody that commits a violent crime. Certainly. Last two things. What do you know what the split is between murders men or female? It's definitely more men. I'm not sure what the split is. Have you talked to these people ever? What people? The, the murders. Oh, sure. Yeah. Is there anything about the psychology that was fascinating? When you got to chat with these people. No, I mean, I've never actually had a conversation with a serial killer before, as far as I know. They very well could have been. <laughs> but uh, no, nothing really jumps out. I'm usually going up to a point where I'm looking for a ghost, and then I find the ghost, and then then I hand it off. You know, the whole sort of mindhunter type of thing of trying to figure out, um, you know, the psychology of it. I leave that to the experts. Last question. In high school, were you, were you the victim? Did that lead to some of this? Like you wanted to be the advocate for people? Because I see you as this like superhero. You're kind of like the <laughs> Batman. You're like going out and I mean, you're you're defending people. You're going out yeah. and trying to, to solve these crimes. No, I wouldn't say I was the victim. I was just a I was a goth kid, <laughs> a hockey playing goth kid. I, that's I was a, a hockey playing goth kid. I liked <laughs> The Cure and The Smiths and Sisters of Mercy and you know wore black and uh, had a leather jacket and that kind of stuff. And that was yeah. No, I mean, what was important to me was music, and that's pretty much the way I was, I was not sort of a victim. I don't know where this came from, but it seems to be working so far. But one of the things I was thinking about today for myself and as I was talking to a friend of mine was just about purpose. And it's interesting, you found a very specific purpose that, that seems like it satisfies you deeply. I think so, yeah. I think that's a very um, fair assessment. It does satisfy me in a strange way because it's satisfying, but it's also incredibly frustrating. So it's not satisfying me in a way that like, painting would or, or something like that. it's just like just because the work is never done you can never say oh got them all you know you can afford yourself a little bit of happiness for helping but then it's just there's always another one right around the corner i was just imagining that in every other part of your life you have to have completeness you're like i have to have a full pizza i need to have like the full plate like everything has to be solved completely because a lot of the stuff you deal with is like unsolved uh, you know what? That's kind of interesting. You know, there might be some bit of like, at least maybe being a control freak in other parts of my life because of that, because of that very thing. So yeah, that's interesting. Well, I mean, my whole day was like unsolved shit. It's like, hey, did you finish that project? No, I didn't finish it. Uh-huh. Still working on yeah. it. It's like, I'm like, God damn, I'm like, I need to finish a few of these things. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yep. Well, dude, I, it's been over the the time. Okay. Uh, super awesome. I want to send you uh, some, if I can find it online, which I can, I'll send you some gin. Oh, okay. that'd be great, man. And uh, well, I don't know when you're coming to Austin, but I'll be, I'll be back in LA next year. Okay. Yeah, no, definitely hit me up and uh, hopefully I'll be back. Actually, I'm going to be in Austin fairly soon and within a couple months. Uh, one of the cases that we're working on is going to be in Austin. So I think we're going to be traveling down there. Dude, Lala's, if it's open, mm-hmm. I'd love to. That'd be great. <laughs> there's actually a few did you ever go to bills by the way oh yeah oh dude dirty bills oh man that's like that is my jam all those places like was that hotel vegas was that one too and uh oh that's a shit show that's right by our office yeah. i love that place and um no there's a lot of like just really i dig austin so much so many great places well i heard a joke recently it was like you know the best thing about a dive bar is uh telling everybody else you're at a dive bar <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> like, <laughs> dude, great. I'm at a dive bar because I love dive bars. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, I fucking love a dive bar, though. It sounds so like do you I. do, too. Yep. I'm all about a dive bar. I'll tell you my L.A. go-to bar was Tiki Tees oh, over on the yep. east side. Fantastic, yeah. Dude, I, man, I was, what's uh, any in L.A. that you, you recommend? Or? Yeah, there's a place called The Drawing Room, which is great. Cash only, $5 drinks, and um, they got a great jukebox. So that's probably my my go-to dive bar. Dude, sweet. All right, well, I'll see you there. We'll, we'll see you at Lala's. Sounds great, man. All right, Billy. Appreciate it, man. All right, take care. Cheers. Right, bye-bye. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as I did. If you did, go give Billy some love at billyjensen.com. You can also check out his podcast, The First Degree, or Jensen and Holes, Their Murder Squad. He is also on the Twitterverse at twitter.com slash billyjensen. Plus, his book is phenomenal, Chase Darkness With Me. I think you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Don't read it at night. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go be safe together. Seriously. Before you go, tweet at me, at Noah Kagan, and let me know what you thought of this episode and any feedback you have. And don't forget to subscribe to AppSumo.com, the number one marketplace for entrepreneurs. So if you are starting your business journey, if you have a book you've made or courses you made as well, you can put them on the AppSumo marketplace. That's AppSumo.com. Finally, a couple special shout out to my amazing team, Jason, who does all this editing. Thank you, man. Thank you to David, Mitchell, Jeremy, and Jen from the Dork team and all of the magical video editors who've been helping us out. And a special shout out to Jeff Lurie, uh, who is our director of business development at AppSumo. So impressive on your side hustle. Really amazing what you've done with the company. Really grateful you're here. And I'll see you on the cornhole field. Have a quick day. What's your favorite brand of sweater?